Section 8 of Pensée. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Derek McLaughlin, London, Ontario, Canada. Latin language reading by Lenny, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Pensée by Blaise Pascal. Translated by W. F. Trotter. Section 8. The Fundamentals of the Christian Religion 556. Men blaspheme what they do not know. The Christian religion consists in two points. It is of equal concern to men to know them, and it is equally dangerous to be ignorant of them. And it is equally of God's mercy that he has given indications of both. And yet they take occasion to conclude that one of these points does not exist from that which should have caused them to infer the other. The sages who have said there is only one God have been persecuted. The Jews were hated, and still more the Christians. They have seen by the light of nature that if there be a true religion on earth, the course of all things must tend to it as to a center. The whole course of things must have for its object the establishment and the greatness of religion. Men must have within them feelings suited to what religion teaches us. And finally, religion must so be the object and center to which all things tend, that whoever knows the principles of religion can give an explanation both of the whole nature of man in particular, and of the whole course of the world in general. And on this ground they take occasion to revile the Christian religion, because they misunderstand it. They imagine that it consists simply in the worship of a God considered as great, powerful, and eternal, which is strictly deism, almost as far removed from the Christian religion as atheism, which is its exact opposite. And thence they conclude that this religion is not true, because they do not see that all things concur to the establishment of this point, that God does not manifest himself to men with all the evidence which he could show. But let them conclude what they will against deism, they will conclude nothing against the Christian religion, which properly consists in the mystery of the Redeemer, who, uniting in himself the two natures, human and divine, has redeemed men from the corruption of sin in order to reconcile them in his divine person to God. The Christian religion then teaches men these two truths, that there is a God whom men can know, and that there is a corruption in their nature which renders them unworthy of him. It is equally important to men to know both these points, and it is equally dangerous for man to know God without knowing his own wretchedness, and to know his own wretchedness without knowing the Redeemer who can free him from it. The knowledge of only one of these points gives rise either to the pride of philosophers who have known God, and not their own wretchedness, or to the despair of atheists who know their own wretchedness, but not the Redeemer. And, as it is alike necessary to man to know these two points, so is it alike merciful of God to have made us know them. The Christian religion does this. It is in this that it consists. Let us herein examine the order of the world, and see if all things do not tend to establish these two chief points of this religion. Jesus Christ is the end of all, and the center to which all tends. Whoever knows him knows the reason of everything. Those who fall into error err only through failure to see one of these two things. We can then have an excellent knowledge of God without that of our own wretchedness, and of our own wretchedness without that of God. But we cannot know Jesus Christ without knowing at the same time both God and our own wretchedness. 
Therefore I shall not undertake here to prove by natural reasons either the existence of God, or the Trinity, or the immortality of the soul, or anything of that nature, not only because I should not feel myself sufficiently able to find in nature arguments to convince hardened atheists, but also because such knowledge without Jesus Christ is useless and barren. Though a man should be convinced that numerical proportions are immaterial truths, eternal and dependent on a first truth in which they subsist, and which is called God, I should not think him far advanced towards his own salvation. The God of Christians is not a God who is simply the author of mathematical truths, or of the order of the elements. That is the view of heathens and Epicureans. He is not merely a God who exercises his providence over the life and fortunes of men, to bestow on those who worship him a long and happy life. That was the portion of the Jews. But the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Christians, is a God of love and comfort, a God who fills the soul and heart of those whom he possesses, a God who makes them conscious of their inward wretchedness and his infinite mercy, who unites himself to their inmost soul, who fills it with humility and joy, with confidence and love, who renders them incapable of any other end than himself. All who seek God without Jesus Christ and who rest in nature either find no light to satisfy them or come to form for themselves a means of knowing God and serving him without a mediator. Thereby they fall either into atheism or into deism, two things which the Christian religion abhors almost equally. Without Jesus Christ the world would not exist, for it should needs be either that it would be destroyed or be a hell. If the world existed to instruct man of God, his divinity would shine through every part in it in an indisputable manner. But as it exists only by Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ, and to teach men both their corruption and their redemption, all displays the proofs of these two truths. All appearance indicates neither a total exclusion nor a manifest presence of divinity, but the presence of a God who hides himself. Everything bears this character. Shall he alone who knows his nature know it only to be miserable? Shall he alone who knows it be alone unhappy? He must not see nothing at all, nor must he see sufficient for him to believe he possesses it, but he must see enough to know that he has lost it. For to know of his loss he must see and not see, and that is exactly the state in which he naturally is. Whatever part he takes, I shall not leave him at rest. 557. It is then true that everything teaches man his condition, but he must understand this well. For it is not true that all reveals God, and it is not true that all conceals God. But it is at the same time true that he hides himself from those who tempt him, and that he reveals himself to those who seek him, because men are both unworthy and capable of God, unworthy by their corruption, capable by their original nature. 558. What shall we conclude from all our darkness but our unworthiness? 559. If there had never been any appearance of God, this eternal deprivation would have been equivocal, and might have as well corresponded with the absence of all divinity as with the unworthiness of men to know him. But his occasional, though not continual, appearances remove the ambiguity. If he appeared once, he exists always. And thus we cannot but conclude both that there is a God, and that men are unworthy of him. 560. 
We do not understand the glorious state of Adam, nor the nature of his sin, nor the transmission of it to us. These are matters which took place under conditions of a nature altogether different from our own, and which transcend our present understanding. The knowledge of all this is useless to us as a means of escape from it, and all that we are concerned to know is that we are miserable, corrupt, separated from God, but ransomed by Jesus Christ, whereof we have wonderful proofs on earth. So the two proofs of corruption and redemption are drawn from the ungodly who live in indifference to religion, and from the Jews who are irreconcilable enemies. 561. There are two ways of proving the truths of our religion, one by the power of reason, the other by the authority of him who speaks. We do not make use of the latter, but of the former. We do not say this must be believed, for scripture which says it is divine. But we say that it must be believed for such and such a reason, which are feeble arguments, as reason may be bent to everything. 562. There is nothing on earth that does not show either the wretchedness of man or the mercy of God, either the weakness of man without God or the strength of man with God. 563. It will be one of the confusions of the damned to see that they are condemned by their own reason, by which they claimed to condemn the Christian religion. 564. The prophecies, the very miracles and proofs of our religion, are not of such a nature that they can be said to be absolutely convincing. But they are also of such a kind that it cannot be said that it is unreasonable to believe them. Thus there is both evidence and obscurity to enlighten some and confuse others. But the evidence is such that it surpasses, or at least equals, the evidence to the contrary, so that it is not reason which can determine men not to follow it, and thus it can only be lust or malice of heart. And by this means there is sufficient evidence to condemn, and insufficient to convince, so that it appears in those who follow it that it is grace, and not reason, which makes them follow it, and in those who shun it, that it is lust, not reason, which makes them shun it. Vere discipuli, vere Israelita, vere liberi, vere kibus. Footnote. In allusion to John, chapter 8, verse 31, chapter 1, verse 47, chapter 8, verse 36, chapter 6, verse 32. Verily disciples, verily an Israelite, verily children, verily food. End of footnote. 565. Recognize, then, the truth of religion in the very obscurity of religion, in the little light we have of it, and in the indifference which we have to knowing it. 566. We understand nothing of the works of God, if we do not take as a principle that he has willed to blind some and enlighten others. 567. The two contrary reasons. We must begin with that, without that we understand nothing, and all is heretical, and we must even add at the end of each truth that the opposite truth is to be remembered. 568. Objection. The scripture is plainly full of matters not dictated by the Holy Spirit. Answer. Then they do not harm faith. Objection. But the church has decided that all is of the Holy Spirit. Answer. I answer two things. First, the church has not so decided. Secondly, if she should so decide, it could be maintained. 
Do you think that the prophecies cited in the gospel are related to make you believe? No, it is to keep you from believing. 569. Canonical. The heretical books in the beginning of the church serve to prove the canonical. 570. To the chapter on the fundamentals must be added that on typology touching the reason of types. Why Jesus Christ was prophesied as to his first coming, why prophesied obscurely as to the manner. 571. The reason why. Types. They had to deal with a carnal people and to render them the depository of the spiritual covenant. To give faith to the Messiah it was necessary there should have been precedent prophecies, and that these should be conveyed by persons above suspicion, diligent, faithful, unusually zealous, and known to all the world. To accomplish this God chose this carnal people to whom he entrusted the prophecies which foretell the Messiah as a deliverer, and as a dispenser of those carnal goods which this people loved. And thus they have had an extraordinary passion for their prophets, and, in sight of the whole world, have had charge of these books which foretell their Messiah, assuring all nations that he should come, and in the way foretold in the books, which they held open to the whole world. Yet this people, deceived by the poor and ignominious advent of the Messiah, have been his most cruel enemies." so that they, the people least open to suspicion in the world of favoring us, the most strict and most zealous that can be named for their law and their prophets, have kept the books incorrupt. Hence those who have rejected and crucified Jesus Christ, who has been to them an offense, are those who have charge of the books which testify of him, and state that he will be an offense and rejected. Therefore they have shown it was he by rejecting him, and he has been alike proved both by the righteous Jews who received him and by the unrighteous who rejected him, both facts having been foretold. Wherefore the prophecies have a hidden and spiritual meaning, to which this people were hostile under the carnal meaning which they loved. If the spiritual meaning had been revealed, they would not have loved it, and, unable to bear it, they would not have been zealous of the preservation of their books and their ceremonies, and if they had loved these spiritual promises, and had preserved them incorrupt till the time of the Messiah, their testimony would have had no force, because they had been his friends. Therefore it was well that the spiritual meaning should be concealed, but, on the other hand, if this meaning had been so hidden as not to appear at all, it could not have served as a proof of the Messiah. What then was done? In a crowd of passages it has been hidden under the temporal meaning, and in a few has been clearly revealed. Besides that, the time and the state of the world have been so clearly foretold that it is clearer than the sun. And in some places this spiritual meaning is so clearly expressed that it would require a blindness like that which the flesh imposes on the spirit when it is subdued by it, not to recognize it. See then what has been the prudence of God. This meaning is concealed under another in an infinite number of passages, and in some, though rarely, it is revealed, but yet so that the passages in which it is concealed are equivocal, and can suit both meanings, whereas the passages where it is disclosed are unequivocal, and can only suit the spiritual meaning. So that this cannot lead us into error, and could only be misunderstood by so carnal a people. For when blessings are promised in abundance, what was to prevent them from understanding the true blessings but their covetousness, which limited the meaning to worldly goods? But those whose only good was in God referred them to God alone. 
For there are two principles which divide the wills of men, covetousness and charity. Not that covetousness cannot exist along with faith in God, nor charity with worldly riches. But covetousness uses God and enjoys the world, and charity is the opposite. Now the ultimate end gives names to things. All which prevents us from attaining it is called an enemy to us. Thus the creatures, however good, are the enemies of the righteous, when they turn them away from God, and God himself is the enemy of those whose covetousness he confounds. Thus, as the significance of the word enemy is dependent on the ultimate end, the righteous understood by it their passions, and the carnal the Babylonians, and so these terms were obscure only for the unrighteous. And this is what Isaiah says. Signalegium inelectis meis. Footnote. Isaiah chapter 8 verse 16. Bind thou up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. End of footnote and that Jesus Christ shall be a stone of stumbling. But blessed are they who shall not be offended in him. Hosea says excellently, Where is the wise? And he shall understand what I say. The righteous shall know them, for the ways of God are right, but the transgressors shall fall therein. 572. Hypothesis that the apostles were impostors, the time clearly, the manner obscurely. Five typical proofs. Two thousand, sixteen hundred prophets, four hundred scattered. Five hundred seventy-three. Blindness of Scripture. The Scripture, said the Jews, says that we shall not know whence the Christ will come. John chapter 7, verse 27, and chapter 12, verse 34. The Scripture says that Christ abideth forever, and he said that he should die. Therefore, says St. John, they believed not though he had done so many miracles, that the word of Isaiah might be fulfilled. He hath blinded them, etc. 574. Greatness. Religion is so great a thing that it is right that those who will not take the trouble to seek it, if it be obscure, should be deprived of it. Why then do any complain, if it be such as can be found by seeking? 575. All things work together for good to the elect, even the obscurities of Scripture, for they honor them because of what is divinely clear. And all things work together for evil to the rest of the world, even what is clear, for they revile such because of the obscurities which they do not understand. 576. The general conduct of the world towards the Church, God willing to blind and to enlighten. The event having proved the divinity of these prophecies, the rest ought to be believed. And thereby we see the order of the world to be of this kind. The miracles of the creation and the deluge being forgotten, God sends the law and the miracles of Moses, the prophets who prophesied particular things, and to prepare a lasting miracle, he prepares prophecies and their fulfillment. But as the prophecies could be suspected, he desires to make them above suspicion, etc., 577. God has made the blindness of this people subservient to the good of the elect. 578. There is sufficient clearness to enlighten the elect, and sufficient obscurity to humble them. There is sufficient obscurity to blind the reprobate, and sufficient clearness to condemn them, and make them inexcusable. St. Augustine, Montaigne, Sebon.
The genealogy of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament is intermingled with so many others that are useless that it cannot be distinguished. If Moses had kept only the record of the ancestors of Christ, that might have been too plain. If he had noted that of Jesus Christ, it might not have been sufficiently plain. But, after all, whoever looks closely sees that of Jesus Christ expressly traced through Tamar, Ruth, etc. Those who ordained these sacrifices knew their uselessness. Those who have declared their uselessness have not ceased to practice them. If God had permitted only one religion, it had been too easily known. But when we look at it closely, we clearly discern the truth amidst this confusion. The premise, Moses was a clever man. If then he ruled himself by his reason, he would say nothing clearly which was directly against reason. Thus, all the very apparent weaknesses are strength. Example, the two genealogies in St. Matthew and St. Luke. What can be clearer than that this was not concerted? 579. God and the apostles, foreseeing that the seeds of pride would make heresies spring up, and being unwilling to give them occasion to arise from correct expressions, has put in Scripture and the prayers of the Church contrary words and sentences to produce their fruit in time. So in morals he gives charity, which produces fruits contrary to lust. 580. Nature has some perfections to show that she is the image of God, and some defects to show that she is only his image. 581. God prefers rather to incline the will than the intellect. Perfect clearness would be of use to the intellect, and would harm the will, to humble pride. 582. We make an idol of truth itself, for truth apart from charity is not God, but his image and idol, which we must neither love nor worship, and still less must we love or worship its opposite, namely falsehood. I can easily love total darkness, but if God keeps me in a state of semi-darkness, such partial darkness displeases me, and, because I do not see therein the advantage of total darkness, it is unpleasant to me. This is a fault, and a sign that I make for myself an idol of darkness apart from the order of God. Now only his order must be worshipped. 583. The feeble-minded are people who know the truth, but only affirm it so far as consistent with their own interest. But, apart from that, they renounce it. 584. The world exists for the exercise of mercy and judgment, not as if men were placed in it out of the hands of God, but as hostile to God. And to them he grants, by grace, sufficient light, that they may return to him if they desire to seek and follow him, and also that they may be punished if they refuse to seek or follow him. 585. That God has willed to hide himself. If there were only one religion, God would indeed be manifest. The same would be the case if there were no martyrs but in our religion. God being thus hidden, every religion which does not affirm that God is hidden is not true, and every religion which does not give the reason of it is not instructive. Our religion does all this. Where tu es Deus absconditus? Footnote. Truly thou art a hidden God. End of footnote. 586. If there were no obscurity, man would not be sensible of his corruption. If there were no light, man would not hope for a remedy. 
Thus, it is not only fair, but advantageous to us, that God be partly hidden and partly revealed, since it is equally dangerous to man to know God without knowing his own wretchedness, and to know his own wretchedness without knowing God. 587. This religion, so great in miracles, saints, blameless fathers, learned and great witnesses, martyrs, established kings, as David, and Isaiah, a prince of the blood, and so great in science, after having displayed all her miracles and all her wisdom, rejects all this, and declares that she has neither wisdom nor science, but only the cross and foolishness. For those who, by these signs and that wisdom, have deserved your belief, and who have proved to you their character, declare to you that nothing of all this can change you, and render you capable of knowing and loving God, but the power of the foolishness of the cross, without wisdom and signs, and not the signs without this power. Thus our religion is foolish in respect to the effective cause, and wise in respect to the wisdom which prepares it. 588. Our religion is wise and foolish. Wise, because it is the most learned, and the most founded on miracles, prophecies, etc. Foolish, because it is not all this which makes us belong to it. This makes us indeed condemn those who do not belong to it, but it does not cause belief in those who do belong to it. It is the cross that makes them believe. Ne evacuata sit crux. Footnote, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made void. End of footnote. And so St. Paul, who came with wisdom and signs, says that he has come neither with wisdom nor with signs, for he came to convert. But those who come only to convince can say that they come with wisdom and with signs. End of section 8.